Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey, everybody, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. I'm Kylie. And on today's episode, we talk about the top five dumbest, silliest movie ideas that 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 work. That work. This is a memorialist. It is. It is. Oh, okay. Well, hang on. Are you excuse? What do you not think it would be a memorialist, Josh? Are you saying it's a memorialist for Ratatouille? No. Well, okay. Hang on. That I didn't might... make my list. Okay, hang on. That didn't make my list either. What? It's a memorialist to what? Airbud. Oh yeah, no, that's in my honorable mentions. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's absolutely. a memorial okay, Airbud. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the Airbud memorialist. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In Airbud, we trust. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, greatest dog character created since 1990. Well, Buddy the Wonder Dog was real. Well, yeah. It's it's a biopic. <laughs> a biopic? <laughs> I don't care for either pronunciation. <laughs> like, one way or another, so please pick whatever. You're like, it's a dumb word, I don't care, let's move on. Yes. Alright, so, uh, Sly, do you know what our, our premise is? Uh, what we're doing here, what our countdown is? Our, our premise... For today? Yes, our top five. Our top five are movies with silly and or dumb premises. Yeah, there you go. That work somehow. That work. Um, did you have any rules, any provisos, any quid pro quos that you put on your list? I was trying to keep... I was trying to get a versatile genre uh-huh. list. Okay. So it wasn't just comedies, which is the easiest one. Yes. Um, but that was hard. But, yeah, that was pretty much it. I just wanted to make sure that there were, like, a mixture, or at least one of each yeah. that I could think of. I uh, I was agreeing that I wanted a little bit of mixture there. I also had to, like, figure out what the word work meant in my brain. So it's kind of twofold. Like, one, it could either be, like, very well-received or, like, critically well-received or popular. Or two, it could be, like popular and have made a lot of money or somewhere in the middle of those Mm -hmm. um but then also the premise had to be like when i looked at it it had to be like what Mm -hmm. what are you thinking why are you thinking this exactly okay and then it worked yeah same here we're at the rules provisos quid pro quo section there kylie what uh what what do you got for your list couldn't be air bud couldn't be air bud <laughs> oh, I also ruled out Batman because we've talked about all the Batmans. But if you really think about like Batman or Superman, really, but like Batman is the one that like because like okay, superheroes are like this huge thing, and like we talk about them all the time. Um, but they like, don't. But like when you really think about this, especially like if you look at like 1989's Batman, um, and obviously it is a built on a whole culture before that. But that culture was a subculture. It was a counterculture. It was something that was frowned upon. This idea of like, so this messed up guy with a lot of money dresses up like a bat and saves everybody from a clown. It's kind of dumb. It's a really dumb premise. But yeah, it works. But we've talked about Batman, so I ruled him out. We've had a conversation where we were talking about Ex Machina and you said, look dumb. <laughs> yeah. yep. And you were like, premise doesn't make sense. And I was like, we watch a man dresses a bat. <laughs> Fight crime. <laughs> yep. True story. And we're content with it, <laughs> mister. <laughs> um, yeah, I left off all superhero films. Just because 
Yeah. I don't know. Although, like, if maybe you could do, like, that's not to say that, like, even within the superhero genre, we're getting to a point where, like, we're starting to be like, well, let's do, like, strange things with our superhero stuff. And not too much, but, like, oh, we'll do Ant-Man. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So. I will say, like, just because you, like, let the strange things. <sighs> I am getting to a point with superhero movies that I got to with comics where I'm like, uh, I miss when you were this thing. When you were just kind of simple and we didn't have to deal with all this multiverse nonsense. Anyway. Welcome to the fold. Yeah. All right. My number five is Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) (laughs) Crossover. My number five is also Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) I'm not shocked. My game that I was going to play with this as we do it, like, as you introduce the movie, you just have to pitch it to me. Like, pitch me this premise. So dad dresses up as an old lady in order to spend time with his child. <laughs> his child? Yeah. <laughs> because he's a man child and he's going to finally take responsibility, but he can't do it in his own skin. He has to take on a persona in order to be a responsible adult. Like, what is that premise? <laughs> like, who thought this was a good idea? It's a superhero film. He has to take on a different persona in order to become a good dad. <sighs> Yeah, no, like, I literally feel like the premise of this movie was like, you guys, Robin does a great old lady impersonation. <laughs> Let's just put him on screen and see what happens. Also, who in the world falls for this? Like, what children and or ex-wife go, hmm, this is an old lady, not my father slash ex-husband who I've lived with for many years. I want the, the sequel where it's Mara Wilson dealing with the trauma <laughs> of, like, every time she meets someone new, like, are you my dad? Are you my dad? <laughs> yeah, it's Mara Wilson, Matthew Lawrence, and the girl from Independence Day. Yes. Who's not Thora Birch, but I think is Thora Birch. the oldest sister uh lisa jacob lisa jacob jacob, jacob. <laughs> lisa jacob it's spelled yeah it's spelled differently um uh, other thing uh-huh. who looks at this and thinks like robin willie who puts harvey firestein in the same film and thinks who's gonna play the lady robin williams uh but they were like mm, but i know who's gonna dress him up like one Harvey. Well, because I'm pretty sure his... I'm pretty sure he bases his performance off of Harvey Firestein. And in his comedy, his stand-up routines, he often incorporates Harvey Firestein into that. He does. And so, like, I think, like, maybe it was, like, a little bit of a, like... I think they're friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I... Can I tell you my Mrs. Doubtfire hot take? Horror movie? I agree. (laughs) (laughs) No. You um, have been legally, you're legally not allowed to be with your children and you're breaking the law. <laughs> Here's my hot take. Uh, best Pierce Brosnan performance? It's here. Okay, I think he nails it. I think he does it really well with it. He gets hit in the back of the head with an orange or whatever it is. Solid it's background. a lime. It's a lime. Or a lemon. Or a because citrus. they're at a bar. They're citrus. at a pool. Yeah, but there's a bar at the pool. Thank you. I appreciate you. Just like, it's a citrus. It's close. Oh, Thank you. some children were throwing out limes around. I'll go find the hooligan. That's something like his line after that. Um, first time I ever heard uh, <laughs> jump around was in that. So that's uh, important. Yep. Mm-hmm. Changed my life forever. 
I I love the like not so subtle PA that smoking is bad at the beginning of this film where because he's like doing the like voice of the bird that's smoking and then he's like refuses to say the line correctly because he's like no they shouldn't sell cigarettes to children it's like solid good point yeah dumb premise but the movie works why why does the movie work Robin Williams okay good I'm glad we have the same so earnest heart heart yeah, absolutely. Matthew Lawrence. Sally Field, also oh. solid in this movie. Matthew Lawrence, I good. I love yeah. Matthew Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was both our number fives. Hey, what's your number five? <laughs> this is Doubtfire also. It's Escape Room. Escape Room. <laughs> I hated this trailer every single time I saw it in the theaters, because that's the only place I would see it, or on TV in the spot. Oh my gosh, it would make me roll my eyes so bad. And I vowed to never see it, because I thought it would be so ridiculous. And then I watched it um, from Redbox with a friend, two friends. And I was shocked that it's actually really engaging. <laughs> Have you guys seen it? Yeah, we saw it in theater. Okay. We did. Yeah, well, I went very oh specifically because Glass was coming out the next weekend <sighs> and I couldn't let Glass be my number one film of the year at any point because mm. it came out in January and I was like whatever film I watch first is Can't my number one so I was like nope we're gonna go watch Escape Room just so Glass is not my number one luckily Escape Room enjoyable mm-hmm. I was on board with it yeah yeah like don't hate that movie yeah I thought I would I really thought I would in fact if there is sequels made I will watch them exactly me too get ready for Escape Room 2 there's a sequel there's a sequel there's a sequel uh yeah okay they can't happy death day me though they can't do that they can't give me oh number four (laughs) (laughs) they can't give me a solid sequel and just be like no more you're done I can't take that. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. They're not doing a third. No, there's no three. There's no three. What if they're lying? Oh, could they be lying? Kylie, are they lying? Jason wouldn't lie to us. But what if he is? He has a pop figure. He's an honest fellow. What if he was just like, psych? We're going to do the original of Happy Death Day. All right, great. I have Groundhog Day as my number four. (laughs) Groundhog Day is just a premise of like, a guy's going to live the same day over and over again, and he's going to figure out his life um groundhogs day may not be the first example of this uh this own version of time tra- the subgenre of time travel of the repeating your day over and over again but it's one of the ones that have permeated the culture the most and has continued to be done over and over again where it's this idea of like you relive this one day over and over again and it's a premise that s- stupid because to some extent, what differently can you do with your single average day over and over again? However, Groundhog's Day works because Bill Murray's manic energy over and over again makes an engaging story. And also the way that they uh, change everything that's happening and make it fun and exciting. Um, they've adapted this into several other things. Two that always come to mind are... This uh, Before I Fall and Happy Death Day. Where Happy Death Day uses the horror genre comedy of like, oh, she's gonna she's finding the murderer so we can change the kills every time. Very horror-ish. While uh, Before I Leave You, which I think is unsuccessful as before this. Before I Fall. Before I Fall. Um, which is the one where uh, she's got to stop her friends from being... It's, it's something about her friends being killed in a car accident. 
But yeah. she continues this day and it's not as engaging with this teen Well, and there's YA. even the everyday model, mm-hmm. which is similar but different mm-hmm. in the fact that like she's meeting the same person every day in a new body. Um, it's similar but different. Yes. Yeah. And so like Groundhog's Day is one that works considering like there it shouldn't. It's a bland concept of, yeah. like, this person is going to relift their life and they're going to fix themselves as they go. And, like, how can you change yourself only living this one day? And apparently you can. I It continues what I think is a trend with some of these movies that we're going to talk about here, which is it is a, a weird premise or a silly, dumb premise that is carried by a singular performer Mm -hmm. and a singular idea. And in this case, Bill Murray's comedy and Bill Murray himself are so specific to what he's doing. And it's the Bill Murray character itself had been so firmly established into the pop culture zeitgeist that when you saw him come on screen in this movie, you're like, Bill Murray, I know what it's going to be. And then the film itself proceeds to say, yeah, you've seen it, you've seen it, you've seen it, you've seen it, and you feel that. And then it proceeds to dismantle that character to the point where I think Bill Murray himself almost, there is his career can be broken into pre-Groundhog Day and post-Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also what it comes in a time where these premises, like, <clears throat> I mean, I'm going to throw out some titles. I'm sorry if they're your thing. Where something like Big and Liar Liar, well, their Liar Liar is a little bit later, and I don't actually know when Big comes out, but they. You're ten, you, it's about a 10 year span you just referenced that. Great, I did it. <laughs> um, Whereas, like, with those two things, they explain the magic of, like, oh, he made a wish, his son made yes. a wish. Whereas Groundhog Day, I don't think it's actually ever explained why he's stuck in this loop. It's basically just the universe. I think. Theoretical, what the explanation is from the film is basically like Groundhog, punks attorney Phil himself, like is speaking through the universe to say, No, I'm going to punish you until you figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there's never like that one moment of like, This is why it's happened. Yeah. It, like, it, it's, it's textual reading yeah. is where we can, which like is also something that for a lot of people, especially probably nowadays, unsatisfying. Yeah. Um, but it's something that works. Like, we don't have to understand why this is happening. We just get that it does. And I love that it allows the audience to have a moment to think. You know? And have a moment to, like, put it together. It's a smart comedy. I'm not going to say it's my favorite comedy in all the land. I know a lot of people hold this up as one of the greatest comedies of all time. But it's it's fun. Yeah. Thoughts on Groundhog Day? I've not seen it. That's okay. <laughs> All right, my number four. So, happy death day. We're on a plane. <laughs> we're on a plane. We're on a plane, and there are snakes <laughs> on the plane. My number four is snakes on a plane. Again, a singular performer just doing his thing. Samuel L. Jackson, who is one of the most well-known, well-loved, beloved movie stars of his generation or any generation. Uh, basically, stuck on a plane fighting snakes and gangsters with <laughs> Keenan Thompson. And, like, I, there's not a lot to say about snakes on a plane, except for, like, it is the dumbest premise. Like, alright, so these gangsters are gonna release this snake, and it's the deadliest snake of all time, and you're stuck in the air, and you have to survive. And I love that this movie just 
goes. It's got no time for nonsense. It is literally about Samuel L. Jackson fighting a giant snake. And if it wasn't him going whole hog and just saying, I'm going to support this premise, this premise doesn't work. But because of how much fun he and everybody are having in it, snakes in a plane. It's a good time. It's a good time with the movies, everybody. So true. Yeah, absolutely. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) That film, in fact, does not work. (laughs) Are you saying you did not have a good time? No. (laughs) You didn't have a good time with these monkey flipping snakes on this Monday to Friday plane? It didn't change the way you viewed animals on a plane? You didn't fear going on a plane because there might be a giant snake and where's Samuel L. Jackson? Can you stop? <laughs> Can you stop? <laughs> also, somehow this is the one that's bringing snakes on a plane. I agree. That was terrifying. <laughs> but I knew Sam and Jack got me. Like, it was good. Okay, Savannah, please bring something to this <laughs> next. Well, just go I was, Okay, I was debating on keeping this in the honorable mentions, but the more I think about it, I just have a love-hate relationship with this movie. Just think about being like an adult in your 40s or whatever, and your life is kind of falling apart, and you fall down off of a bridge into some kind of vortex of water. And then suddenly you're 17 again. Oh my god! <laughs> I knew exactly where you were going as soon as you said he jumps off a bridge. He, he doesn't jump off; he falls. He, he's trying to save someone. Yes, they're doing. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Listen. Mixed with Freaky Friday. <sighs> Honestly, there's just why do you have to become 17 again? To fix your life and the relation, the dynamics of your family. Because that's where his life, he thought his life went wrong because he decided to help raise his child rather than get the basketball scholarship and go to college. And so that's why he's 17 again. It's because in that moment, he has to make the decision that he thinks ruins his life. And then this is actually that 17 again with Sephron and Matthew Perry is based on an older 17 mm-hmm. again with, I think, George Burns, I want to say. And I don't remember who the who the 17-year-old is. I want to say it's Kirk Cameron, but that might not be right. Um, Anyway, and so their whole premise of that one is similar, which is this is the point your life went off the rails. This is the point that you need to go back to to figure out what you did wrong so that you can be a better person. It's also a little bit of um, Christmas Carol, Mm. where it's like, go go relive some things and figure life out. Yeah, Wonderful Life. Christmas yes. Carol? Christmas yes. Carol. Okay. Christmas Carol. Sorry, yeah. I was thinking Wonderful Life. Yeah. You're not. Me too. Yeah. Wonder- oh. All of them are kind of the same. You're yeah. right. Wonderful Life has the same, like, idea. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This trope. <sighs> this trope. Yeah, no. 17 against ridiculous. There's a lot of premises that just bleed into this kind of, like, what if you were young again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's just that idea of it is, so I think the reason we accept it, or at least I would, I would speculate, it's just a fun idea or premise to be like, oh yeah, what if I was a kid again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a fun thing to explore. Yeah. Well, Kylie has loved our picks, so. <laughs> what do you got over there at number three? The fly. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> Thank Great, you. Moving on. Uh-huh, yeah. All right. No, the fly is essential. So, what is the premise of the fly? Uh, this guy tries for time travel or something, and he turns into a fly. Because the fly gets in the machine. <laughs> yeah, and so like it's essentially like a man turning into a fly. Question. Yes. Is the '80s one a remake? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, this, they're both dumb. I'm gonna go with the Jeff Goldblum one. Great. Here is why. Because what the, this film, uh, taking aside all of the body horror and gross cities, what the, the what the film is at its center point is it's about essentially having to watch a loved one die of a degenerate disease. That is the whole metaphor going through the fly. That is the purpose of it. It's supposed to be like watching someone you love have to die of this thing that is destroying them from within and so it brings apart that horror that we might feel not in the way of a spooky skeleton coming after us but like what is a lot of people's greatest fear it's death or watching those around them suffer right that is a great fear of it they put it into this horror genre they include all of the special effects to do this transformation the fly itself, it's a silly premise of like, what if a man turned into a fly? Yeah. But then they actually show the horrors of it and they bring in a different metaphor and it's great and it's cool and it's not stupid snakes on a plane. Fair. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's a little <laughs> too gross for me. At least the Jekyllblum one. Mm-hmm. I understand. That's the point yes. of like the horrors of watching someone go through this. Yeah, it's that's a, it's a hard watch. Right? Yeah, I agree. It's also gross. I don't watch it ever. It is a very hard watch, um, but I think that that is the point and that is why it works is that it's not just in in my opinion, and I guess I don't know Cronenberg too well. I haven't seen most of his films, but I feel like to me he has a purpose to it. And I know that this oh, is yeah. one of his more Grotesque one. Yeah, whoa. It's actually one of his more palatable Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's doing grotesque for a reason. It is, yeah. You're right. And that's time. why I think that it's more palatable, is because mm-hmm. the reason is clearer in The Fly it's, than it is in others. Yeah, it has yeah. it has some thing in this life that we can connect to. Yes. And those are my thoughts on The Fly. Dumb premise. But works. Gina works Davis enough to... Great. Remake. Jeff Goldblum. Are we remaking it again? No, but it has oh. been remade. Like, because the, the Jeff Goldblum one is not the OG. No. Um, yeah, so. All right. Um, my number three. So there's a preacher. And this preacher's family has oh some tragedy. And so what he does is he's in charge of the town. And he convinces everybody in the town to pass a law. That there is no dancing in this town because dancing is evil and dancing is the root of all of our problems. Ladies and gentlemen, Footloose? What the heck is Footloose? Um, I agree. <laughs> what is Footloose? It's almost like they should have passed a law that was like, no drinking and driving the no, true dancing evil. dancing is the evil it wasn't the alcohol it was the dancing and the shenanigans and the tomfoolery and the skullduggery that goes with dancing um 
It is one of those things where you look at a movie and you're like, the premise of this is that we can't dance and this is somehow going to save this town. It's dance. But it is meant, it is, it is this premise that is based in metaphor. And to do something along the lines of where if you banned drinking or if you banned those things, then people are going to look at this and be like, oh, it's too heavy, it's too political. But when you look at this silly premise of like, oh, they banned dancing, mm-hmm. then you can get your point across, your story across that like, we want to have fun, but we want to do it responsibly. And just because one person can't do it, didn't do it responsibly, and that was very sad and caused a tragedy, doesn't mean that the rest of us have to suffer for this, and we can learn from this, and grow from this, and become better people from this, not hide in shame and fear, and use this to control and to dictate over what the rest of this community is. And by getting rid of something and canceling it, that cancels education. And by canceling education on something, then you create fear. And again, you breed control. And now I'm just describing America in 2019. And it's fine. But Footloose, you know, we banned dancing. Footloose. No, you know, like Elmore City just thought it was a good idea. Did so the Elmore City, Oklahoma actually did this. Shut the front door. Yes. So for over a hundred years, they didn't allow public dances. Oh, and the, and I, I get I get like like I don't I guess I don't know the politics of like Footloose. Like you can't dance in your house. I don't know if that's actually <laughs> what they include. There's but, no dancing. But like, but like yeah, Elmore City, Oklahoma, is the town that this film is based off of. They didn't believe in having public dances. And it's a very, very small city town, probably smaller than what's actually shown in Footloose. But yeah, they didn't have dancing. Yeah. Dancing wasn't allowed. Oh, man. And so for over a hundred years, they didn't have any like public dances, like celebrations or anything like that. No, you couldn't. You couldn't do them. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So. <laughs> I mean, it's still dumb. It is. Um, but uh, yeah, and again, I think the movie works because it's a, a it's really fun. It uses its metaphor really well. Kevin Bacon and John Lithgow are doing great things in that movie. So yeah, Footloose is my number three. Cut loose, everybody. What's so your number my, three, Sly? Oh gosh. Yeah, and then like in 2012, they go over there and be like, "Haha, look how much we've changed." No <laughs> more. Did you see it? No, of okay. course not. I'm a I'm an adult. How they should have done it is Kevin Bacon comes back and reprises his role as a high school student. What? I would have been more engaged. I, I been, was always like, yeah, like, let's get Bacon back. All right, we can do this. Like, as a high school, and then as a high school, I was like, whoa, like, hang on. Teacher. I'm getting some 17 again vibes from No! Because so his, no, his love interest is also the same age as him. We just bring her back. Just, just bring everyone yeah. back. So it's like a shot for shot remake. Hot American Summer. Netflix. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, gosh. great. Okay, all right. What's up? I, I, which would be a better film, Josh? What we got that we didn't see? I don't know if you saw it or what could have been in my mind. <laughs> what, what could have been? Exactly. Uh, or 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 don't. Just don't. What? Do it. What? Here. Neither. Other thing. Make up your own no, ridiculous other premise. Thing. Other thing. Other <laughs> thing. Yeah. It's a ridiculous premise. Thank you. Uh, Kenny Loggins also comes back and redoes and does the song again. Okay. We don't have someone else to make gonna, it. I'm gonna. Here we go. Kenny Loggins. Are you saying he's overrated? Comes back as the best friend. Okay. Let's hear it for the boys. Let's give the boys a chance. My, my favorite. Oh, sorry. My mom. 
is obsessed with that scene. Yeah. And I've, like, she's always like, no, like, me and my friend, we knew this, this dance. Which one is that's here for the boy? Where that's where it? he's teaching his friend how to dance. He's teaching Sean Penn's brother how to dance. Okay. Uh, my favorite Footloose song is Holding Over a Hero. It's a good song. It's just, like, it's, it's great. Josh, I'm gonna. I, my generation doesn't know that song as a Footloose song. What do you know it as? Shrek Two. Right. No. She's right. No. Mhm. We have to burn the Shrek movies now. So like, I know that like when the Pikachu thing came out, you were like, "Ah, oh, my generation, they're getting to us," and I was like, "Oh, they're getting to the Shrek Two fans also." For the longest time, Shrek 2 was the highest grossing animated movie of all time. <sighs> I uh, don't know why. <laughs> Savannah, what is your what is your number three? Shrek 2. So imagine a teenage boy. <laughs> <laughs> he used to be an adult. Okay. Who lives <laughs> kind of in the middle of nowhere and he's like a reject but he helps his friend become class president and through this journey he takes with his friend he ends up i don't know how to i don't know how to describe this i'm trying to figure out this movie it's napoleon dynamite yeah oh (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's the premise i couldn't elaborate further okay no yeah you're there yeah um this movie is so... Oh my gosh. So... When I was in high school, this was just like a thing that everyone made an overly big deal out of. And by everyone, our Spanish teacher at the forefront. For sure. But before I took Spanish, like, tail end of 8th grade, beginning of ninth grade, everyone was into this. And it was like... Basically what memes are now, but instead of memes, it was just Napoleon Dynamite references all over the place. And it was really overdone. But not wrong. Yeah. but Not even just in high schools. In in hindsight. everywhere. In hindsight, it actually has so much heart. (laughs) He makes meaningful connections through Pedro, through Tina. Wait, no, Tina's (laughs) <laughs> through the liger <laughs> through the like i don't know he's just you know i feel like we all knew that one kid that was an outcast in high school we might have been that outcast we might have just been really good friends with them we might have been the pedros i don't know but i feel like you just you just like have this moment at the end in the auditorium where it's just unity and everyone has like a moment of oh my gosh I think I respect this person even though I don't really like them or really know anything about them and I think that's beautiful uh, I, I don't like Napoleon Dynamite this is a bad movie for me uh, also I would dare to say the premise pretty average the movie is dumb that's just me personally, um, but yeah, I I also fell victim to that movie being over referenced and overloved. My uh, the cinema teacher oh, great. Uh, recommended that movie when it was out because like I was in I was in his class when it came out and he's like 
this is like the one of the greatest indie films that has come out in a long time, <laughs> you guys. And so like I, w- I was like so excited to like go to the theater and be like, yeah, I get to be like on the ground level of one of these indie movies. And that uh, sucker was boring. And then everybody was like, gosh. And I'm like, shut up. Shut your faces. <laughs> I don't like you. I don't want to vote for Pedro. I don't like Ligers. I don't the stupid steak scene or whatever it is. I just the brother is annoying. Just... I thought I could throw the snake the steak over the mountain. <laughs> oh, I hate it. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I don't <laughs> I love Napoleon Dynamite. I feel like it's just relatable, but in the worst ways. That's why it's great. We weren't cool like you, Josh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm I am the outlier. I understand this. Okay, anyways, Josh. Yeah, what's up? What's your number two? I mean, this isn't... This is a classic. This is a classic, everyone. My number one, I think Josh is gonna go, What are you saying? He's gonna freak out. So I'm gonna pad a little bit. Um, I'm gonna go with Run, Lobo, Run as my okay. number two. Alright. Wanna hear the premise? Yeah. Girl gonna run. <laughs> how, how long? The whole time. Oh, okay. She's just gonna run, and we're gonna have a techno underbeat to it, and we're gonna be enthralled. Yeah. <laughs> it works. And we're all just like, yeah, Lola. Lola, you better keep running. <laughs> Don't Lola. stop. Don't stop, Lola. Don't stop. Leaving. Somewhat of an underplot of why she's running. I think it's to save her boyfriend. I just gotta make all these check marks, but you're just watching this person run. And let me say something. As someone who just likes to watch running in films, I am on board with just watching Lola run. Alright, I've got this. I'm gonna I'm gonna cast the, the Run Lola Run remake. Uh-huh. Cynthia Rebo. Yes. She's gonna run. She's gonna run. She's gonna run so good. She's gonna run so good. Yeah. Do you think, do you think, uh... That... He has a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. This shouldn't. This is just like a techno... It's in the 1001 movies you have to see before you die. Why? Why? Everyone needs to see Lola Run. Plot, oh my gosh, the plot has so many paragraphs on Wikipedia. I don't even remember what the plot is. She's just running. She runs up a staircase at some point. She runs through a town. Like, what? Why is there so much of a plot written? Because you gotta surround the running with something. <laughs> do you? Do you think? Do you think the director was like watching that scene in uh, Forrest Gump where he's just running and he's like, I can make a movie out of this, just this? <laughs> Tom Tyker, maybe. Oh, this makes so much sense. All right, Tom Tyker. Uh huh. Okay. So run, Mola, run, <laughs> the fame. Um, and then run all night. Um, and then... Nope. Oh. Shh. He is, he finds the Wachowskis. He runs to them okay. at some point. Uh-huh. And he's half, he's the co-director of Cloud Atlas. Love it. And he is also part of Sense8. Oh, okay. This makes all the sense. This is who, this, this is the trio that we need, not the trio we deserve. But we need the Wachowskis and Tom Tiger to just revolutionize film. It's, 
Josh, it doesn't make any sense. Can I? Can I just give those three all the money in the world? All well, they they had all the money in the world. They had Cloud Atlas. <laughs> um, but I want to give them all the money in the world and then all the promotion in the world and just see what happens. Do what you wish. All right. My number two. Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Cloud Atlas. No, uh, but that, that's a good one. Okay, so there is an FBI agent and a terrorist. And they're, they're going to be in battle with each other. But the terrorist gets this really wonderful idea. <laughs> what, if, <laughs> what if I take the face oh. of the FBI agent? This is an honorable mention. And what if I put it on my face? And then the FBI agent says, what if I become... The terrorist, and I take his face and put the it on The FBI mine. agent does it first. Oh, oh I'm because, so sorry. Because Castro Troy is in a coma at the beginning, and so um, John Travolta takes his face so that he can infiltrate, because they have to still find the bomb that he plants while he was a priest, and he has to go in there and talk to the brother, because the brother knows where the bomb is. The brother, who also gives a great performance in disobedience, and so he has to go to the jail dressed or in the form of Nicolas Cage. Thank you so much for explaining, because I've not seen this movie. Yeah, no problem. This is Face Off, everybody. I'm going to take his face off. Face off. Oh, man, this is such a ham sandwich of a film. Oh. Kylie's just going to do the heavy lifting for me. Face go for it. You go. No, this is a, this is a stupid premise. <laughs> I'm going to... Listen, they look nothing alike. John Travolta and Nicole, You could, And John Woo is there. And John Woo is just like... No, Doves. no. Doves, slow motion, mirrors. This is all I need to make a film. It makes no sense. They're like, we changed your dental records and we took off, like, parts of your, like, they, like, shaved down his body weight so that he's more svelte like Nicolas Cage at the time. But they don't have a, the same head shape. Nope. They don't have the same anything. Like, why, why does this work? Get you want me to kind of believe this? You want me to kind of believe this? Find me two people who are at least somewhat similar. But no, I'm going to take his face off. Face off? Face off. I can eat a peach all day. Grossest line I've ever heard. Face off. Also, the beginning of the film, Nicolas Cage has this mustache that rivals only to Henry Cavill's mustache and... Mission Impossible 6. <laughs> but he's got like this stash and I'm like, where's this movie? Where's the Caster Troy mustache growing film? This is why I put this on the list. <laughs> I was like, Kylie's gonna have a great time talking about Face Off. Face and then I'm gonna be like, what she said, and we're gonna pass it over to Sly. There you go. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's there. It's exactly there. I've got nothing more to add. Like, yeah. I love Face Off. I talk about it in the most ridiculous ways all the time. I just... Gone in 60 seconds. Like, how do they label the cars that they're gonna steal? And I was like, what do you mean, how do they label them? They just call them lady names. Mm -hmm. That was the answer. 
Thanks for having my back, Josh. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Introducing me to great cinema. Yep. <laughs> Top five Nick Cage performances going on 60 seconds. Face off. Face off. Yeah, face off was my number two. All right, what you got over there for your number two? Sylvania, you need to watch face off. I, I do now that you guys have talked about it. Oh, it's, um, it's good times. It's crazy times. John Woo is doing something. <laughs> John Woo. So the world is dying. <laughs> is this your premise or is this the here, here and now? This is just 2019. So the world is, is dying. <laughs> okay. The world is dying. Uh huh. And. We need to restart the sun. <laughs> so we're going to send some astronauts into space and nuke the sun the heck up. Yeah, we are! To restart that guy. That sun. <laughs> In a little film that we like to call Kaboom! Welcome back to the Sunshine Cast, everybody. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh, what? Okay. So, a lot of people don't like this mo- movie because it starts off like super, like, oh, like wisdom. Should we do this? Should we not do this? What? Wh- why are people kind of losing their minds towards the end? Blah, blah, blah. And then it turns into a slasher movie. But I feel like it makes sense because given the amount of time that he spent in space by himself... He must have reached some level of his own version of what enlightenment means mm-hmm. in regards to the human race, blah, blah, blah. He becomes a zealot. Yeah. So it's just like, the beginning is so, it makes no sense. Like, obviously that's impossible, mm-hmm. but then they just make it work and I'm just like, yeah, they did it. They restarted the sun. Good for them. Yep, yeah, yeah, good they job. They saved the world. Yeah. Saved humanity. Nice. You did it. Good job. Killian Murphy. <laughs> you did it. We talked about this recently on my favorite, uh, uh, on favorite non-MCU performances by MCU actors, because I love Chris Evans in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah. Mortifying death. Yeah. The cast, the whole cast was just so good. Solid. I agree. The cast is very good. I've seen this film once um, in college, and and by the end, I was like, "What the heck?" Um, I it's probably a film I should revisit. <laughs> I mean, if you want to want to get some, you know, time when Boyle was actually a, a good filmmaker. Um, where I think I did, I I, I understood I understood the character himself as to why he's the the villain antagonist as to why he's doing the things i understood that it was it was when we changed from sci-fi to horror i was a little or sci- i don't know i don't know i was a little bit less on board um because I, I was i liked the sci-fi stuff that was happening and so i think i just would need to rewatch it to see how that builds upon itself because as josh said he thinks that it builds really nicely up to that point and i just never mm-hmm. caught that yeah yeah, and I think that it's if that build works for you and that transition works for you, then the film works. And if it doesn't, then the film doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. That, that that's essentially what that lands on. And I agree that I think that cast is great. Um, this is actually a Michelle Yeoh perform, perform, performance, performance that I really love. Because Michelle Yeoh is this actor who kind of like always falls under the radar except for in moments where she doesn't. And that's in the sense of Crouching Tiger and... Crazy Rich Asians. But Michelle Yeoh, I think, is 
really good at integrating within all of these um, ensemble films, mm -hmm. and she stands out and is interesting and new, unique, and it's. I, I always look at it as like this is a great Michelle Yeoh performance. Mm -hmm. Everyone's yeah. great. Mm -hmm. Ten. Ten out of ten would recommend for the ensemble. There you go. <laughs> um, before we jump to our number ones, uh, honorable mentions, friends. Okay. <coughs> <coughs> Babe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Babe. Being John Malkovich. Uh, the Sound of Noise. Uh, the Lobster. Lars and the Real Girl, and The One I Love. Um, I have got uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, rubber. Uh, phone Booth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> phone Booth is bonkers. Phone Booth at one point was like my favorite film of all time. <laughs> I think we need to cover Phone Booth at some point. <laughs> the Schumacher. Now that I'm on board with uh, Colin, I think we need to, to cover Phone Booth again. Um, Again? <laughs> sorry, for the first time. And uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh. <laughs> Mine? Are... Oh, sorry. Oh. Armageddon. Sorry. Okay, you're yes. good. You're good. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Oh, honey, I shrunk the kids. But we shrunk ourselves is... Like... Oh, is the more ridiculous? I'm yeah, with you. All right. Not we blew up the baby. Is that... That's two. Ah! I can't do... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, because that ant terrifies me. Oh, I know that the daddy long legs is in Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, mm -hmm. but that's, that's, more, that's more palpable than this nightmare. Yeah, it was not about the ant. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm on board. Okay, I'm sorry. Mean Girls, Guardians of the Galaxy. There you go. Hey, everyone, my number one is rubber. Ah! <laughs> okay, okay. The premise. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the premise first. I'm gonna explain why it is good. I don't remember the tire's name. <laughs> it might be Steve. <laughs> Can we just stop there? Can you please repeat that sentence? Like <laughs> I don't remember the tire's name. It may be Steve. Great. I think we've got all we need about why this premise is. Dumb. He has psychic abilities that can kill people and make them explode. You need that sentence as well there, Joshua. All right, point one. Great. Dumb premise. Point two. That's the point of the film. Is So So in this, you're, you're, we're watching a tire go and kill people. Great. Not great. What? what? <laughs> It's a concept. But on the other side of it, you also have these group of people who are sitting on top of a mountain or like a hill and they are watching all of this happening and they're commentating on it. So essentially what this film, whole film is, it's an exploration of our us as an audience and how we are willing to go and see anything pretty much in theaters. Now that is somewhat changing now. We're like diminishing returns and it's great. But there was a time in cinema where we were just going to the most ridiculous and stupid premises and just there to turn off our brains and stop thinking. And there are moments where that is good. The Coen brothers bring it up again in Buster Scrubs. We go to the kit, the chicken. We don't go to the great art. Is that that Clancy Brown film? <laughs> Clancy Brown has like two lines in that movie. <laughs> I did. <laughs> He's also in the Jake Gyllenhaal overcoming 
Stronger. He's really Get good stronger. Yeah. There we go. Because <laughs> you were always like, I recently saw Clancy Brown in a film, and it's stronger every time. <laughs> um, <clears throat> where So that, like, the premise, like, has that stupid premise, and the internet has literally always just been like, it's a stupid tire movie. But that is not what that film is actually about. That film is about how we will ingest all this nonsense garbage and not think about it as a society rather than thinking critically about things and picking and choosing what we want to view as a society. The film ends with Steve the Tire leading a revolution of tires to Hollywood, which is the representation of how when one stupid thing gets made and is popular, then a bunch of other stupid things are going to follow it down and we're in this never-ending cycle of blah. When I say that premise, maybe it's a little bit better, but the premise of it's a tire that has psychic abilities that can make you explode. And there is a good portion of this where you are just following a tire trying to explode a can <laughs> before you even get to the people. And you're just like, what is this? But then when you get there, when you get to the, the Greek chorus on the mountain... <laughs> What I think is interesting about rubber is that it doesn't... <laughs> My passion? It, your passion is this strong. Um, it doesn't get a huge theatrical release. Like, and so its whole point about like anybody will go see anything in theaters is interesting because most people experience this film at home or on streaming or on, on demand of some kind. Um, and so I just think that like I, I feel like part of his commentary with this film is that like anybody will go see anything but not everybody is getting a chance to put anything out there. And so I, I, I just like, I, I think that Rubber works. Robert is his name. Robert. Not Steve. There you go. Um, I think that Rubber works because there is a purpose and a drive behind the premise, um, which I think is another way to make these silly premises work out really well. All right. Um, so Kylie, uh, when I was reading my, my honorable mention, mentions, shot me a look because I mentioned hers. We'll see if something similar happened over here. Uh, so you're you're a, you're a business person, and this business person works uh, in a building, and they go to work every day, and then they finally get a promotion to the thirteenth and a half floor. And in the thirteenth and a half floor, they find their coworker, and then then the coworker like build a friendship together. And in this friendship, then they discover a small door. And this tiny door leads you inside the head of actor John Malkovich. And then you can <laughs> control him like a puppet. Isn't it for like 15 minutes? Uh, you can, Eventually you get like more and more control over him to the point where like John Cusack is just living as John Malkovich for a long time. And then Malkovich has to figure it out. This film is being John Malkovich, everybody. Uh, Charlie Kaufman has a career's length of films that you could pick from. You could pick from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or any of the Adaptation. other things. Adaptation. Um, the puppet movie. Anomalisa? Yeah. Anomaly, yeah. So, but I went with uh, good old being John Malkovich because the, the entire premise of this movie is, what if you could control John Malkovich? I'm so <laughs> glad that it's John Malkovich. <laughs> like, and I always wonder, because I don't know, like, was the original premise John Malkovich? Or did he, like, take this around and to actors and be like, it could be you. Oh, it could be you. But, like, John Malkovich was the one who was like, no, it's me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do yeah, this film. Yeah. I'll do this film for you, John. I'll and do like, this for you, Charlie. bonkers, see, because Spike Jones is the director of it. 
the most oh man because you can also put her on here as well like Spec Jones has a career mm. in these movies as well um but I lo- my favorite scene in this movie is where Malkovich then figures out where the door is. Then Malkovich goes inside his own head. And there's a whole scene where everybody looks like John Malkovich. Like their head up is John Malkovich, but their body down is like their neck down is like who they were. And then you're just like, they're all saying the word Malkovich, 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 Malkovich as like their dialogue. And I'm like, this movie is bonkers and yet has so much to say about life and how we control it and who we are and what we represent and it's just crazy that this film works on any level so being john malkovich my number one just dumb premise that works (laughs) you guys had very passionate number ones I was passionate about my number one for a long time, but, you know, it's just one of those movies that is like a dull flame in my heart, still alive, but, you know, I've, I've just accepted that it's just going to be a dull flame in my heart from now on. <laughs> oh, I feel so sad right now. <laughs> what's up? What's up, Sylvia? Yeah. And, um, Describe your number one to me. The premise of this movie is that of... Someone who goes through their whole life just wanting to be loved, and one day they come across something that brings them out of their comfort zone, and they meet someone who also brings them out of their comfort zone, and they just go on these adventures where they're being chased by unknown people, their world has changed, and then they come together with a wizard. <laughs> this is not the film I thought it was. <laughs> who, who then join forces all together to return to their world and reclaim it and turn... Mortal Kombat? <laughs> uh, the kid who would be king? And it turns out that everyone in the end has something to contribute and that prophecies aren't all that they were cracked up to be. And everyone in the end is special. The Incredibles? <laughs> what is this movie? It's the Lego movie. Oh! <laughs> I couldn't give it away by just saying Legos. You guys, this film. No, you don't don't let the second one end your. Heart. No, no, it didn't. Nothing's ended. I'm just saying that it's just gonna be a perpetual flame inside of me. But it's not like. I'm not gonna like. <laughs> but I'm with you in that sense of like when the Lego movie came out. I thought that's I was, stupid. That's it, a commercial. It Absolutely. was it, to me. That's why the premise is dumb. It's because exactly. it's like it's just a commercial for Legos. So yeah, somehow it works. Legos. But for me, like where my flame is dissipating is because like I was like such a unique, amazing, wonderful comedic voice, and I was like, oh well, then I just do it four times over, and it made removes the shine of the mm-hmm. first one. I yeah. excuse you, Elizabeth Banks is still at the top of her game. She's oh, killing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a lot of hatred for this film at Western. Why? <laughs> because we're in college and we're too cool to watch this silly kids movie. They, they, ins- they incited Trinity Syndrome, which 
I, oh, yeah, you mentioned this. Before. I actually disagree with Trinity Syndrome in the first Matrix movie. Because, like, Trinity is still an active participant though, through the film. And so, like, I get, I understand with maybe the sequels. I don't care. But, like, they were like, Wild Style comes in and she, like, is the only one that understands what to do. Because Chris Pratt's character... Emmett. Emmett! Uh, it do can't doesn't know how to do things and like blah 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 and like they were like but then he that's not the point of the Lego movie the Lego movie does the opposite of like no Emmett's not special yeah. he yeah <laughs> prophecy uh, a great stupid prophecy the craggle the crazy glue it's, it's, like... it's crazy glue um. This is a. F you didn't even get to the craziest part of like maybe your Legos are alive, but they're not. <laughs> Where it's like, oh yeah, it's just confirming that Toy Story is real. Yeah, no. it's like more and more things. No. Um. I guess to me that's why that's not the craziest part of this movie to me. The craziest part of me is like this is a commercial that works because like to me it's playing in the Toy Story world. It's mm -hmm. like yeah, toys are real; they come alive. Yeah. But we, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then, like, you're... I don't know, Josh. There's a lot happening with this. Um, it is the commercial that ends up working. And it's far more successful than its second one. Because I think that the second one makes it... Takes too much time in the real world. And also mm -hmm. because we understand how the real world works. Like, things... Honestly, I could not tell you anything about the second one. Why well, you fell asleep for part of it? I also what think happened? that the second one is hurt that Lego Batman, Lego Ninjago come out in between the two because you're like, oh, cool, we get it. You don't have anything more things to say. You don't have anything more to do. Mm -hmm. If the second one had come out closer to the first one, or if they hadn't released two in the middle of it, yeah. I think we'd be a little bit more like, oh, okay, I'm still like this premise. Like, let's explore this world a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. Goldie, I'm so sorry. We're dissing your favorite movie. Um, yeah, I the Lego Movie's great. It's an animated film that works. Maybe that's the animated people that I need. Are those two? What are their names? Lord and Miller. Yeah, because I also like Spider Verse. <laughs> yeah, and Lord has more to do with that than Miller, and they kind of come on that project a little late. But I mean, in that sense, you should give credit the chance to be both two a chance. It is also their film. Bill Hader! <laughs> yeah. I need to watch the first one to understand. No, I think you're good. Um, the intricacies? Yeah. Nah. I was rewatching some of Solo, and it just makes me so sad that they're not, that film was not theirs, because I'm like, I want their take on that film. But, all right, friends. Listen, if you're, I understand partly why they weren't kept on, because yeah. they didn't follow the studio hood thing. And, like, this isn't, like, me saying, like, don't be creative artists, but when you are working for the, a massive corporation like that, you've got to play by their rules. Yeah. And well, we talked in the Lion King episode about, like, the style guide, and they went, like, mm, let's shred that sucker. Let's do what we want. Well, that's what I agree. Yeah. Do what you want. And get fired. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Alright friends, if you enjoyed this conversation and why wouldn't you, you can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes if it's a 5 star review or any star review so let's hit that subscribe button yeah, You can Robert also, the Tire 
You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of Friend Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at DWT underscore podcast. YouTube. Ducks Watch Together. Tumblers. Ducks Watch Together. Letterboxd. WACT and Kylie Gallisher. Sly, got any contact information you want to give out? Savannah at Letterboxd. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Josh. I'm Kylie. I'm Savannah. Quack, 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 quack.